Welcome to the Deep Roots at Home podcast. For those of you new here, the Deep Roots at Home website was founded by Jackie in 2011. As a retired RN, longtime homeschooler, past Lyme sufferer with a love of preventative natural medicinals, Jackie has encouraged women for years now. Our desire is to spread truth and important information during these recent deceptive times, as well as the practicals of homemaking and all things beautiful. Whether you are listening in the car, while you're making dinner for your children, or sitting with a relaxing cup of tea, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Deep Roots at Home podcast. I'm your host, Abby Grace, and I'm super thrilled to be with you here again today. We have a very special episode for you. Some of you may remember that in one of our previous episodes, we had uh, Emily with us from the We Saved Our Mom family, and she actually has an amazing story about how she and her 11 siblings saved their dying mom when their mom had only been given 12 hours left to live, and they saved her from dying of COVID. And it's an amazing story. If you have not heard the podcast, make sure to go back and listen to that because you'll be greatly blessed and encouraged. Emily went on after that um, experience with her family to help many, many other people with COVID and with different supplements and protocols. And they uh, spent hours and days and days um, mentoring folks, helping their loved ones, specifically ones that were in the hospital. And they also went on to partner with a company called CV Protocols and created a product called I Am Shield, which simplifies the whole process and basically takes all of the ingredients that have been the buzzwords for what you should do naturally for COVID. So they took all those ingredients and they put them all into one supplement to make it simple and easy for people. And they call that I am shield. So Emily has been very, very, very busy. And uh, today we have her on specifically because um, we wanna talk about advocating for your loved ones in the hospital. And Emily has her own personal experience with that. Plus she has now mentored many, many people who have their loved ones in the hospital. And she has learned so many little tips and tricks and gained lots of insight. And so that's what the topic of today is. So we will be starting with Emily right after this. Welcome back. So I want to introduce you again to Emily. Emily, we are so thrilled to have you here today on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. No, not at all. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so, so thrilled to talk with you. As I mentioned earlier in the introduction, you have been a busy lady. Yeah, there, you know, it's not every lifetime you get to live through a pandemic, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Very true. And you have been definitely a blessing to many, many people. You've helped save a lot of um, patients in the hospital. You've, you know, sadly not been able to help some of them that were too far gone before they got in touch with you or whatever. But I know there's many people that are hugging their loved ones tonight because of the the ministry you've had with these people. So you have your own experience with advocating with your for your own mama in the hospital. And then you've actually um, been, you have mentored people on how to advocate for uh, for their loved ones. And then you went to put to, you went on to put together a course, which we'll talk about later so that others could, um, could learn the best way to uh, deal with the staff and the hospital, um, during a stressful time right. if their loved ones are sick. So, um, tell me just briefly a little bit, um, for those that have not listened to the first podcast, can you give me like a, a two minute little summary of, of, of your testimony and so a little background of how you've learned all this expertise. Sure. Uh, my husband and I are big into alternative medicine. And when my mom, my grandfather died of COVID and we just, you know, we're not the first generation. So we weren't the ones making the calls and making the shots. So when we just let his hospital handle his care with my mom and aunts in charge of that. But when my mom left his room, she had COVID herself. And five days later, she was in the hospital in the ICU. Um, And then not long after, we got the call that she was passing away. And we had kind of sat back and let the experts handle it, if you will, with grandpa. 
but we were uh, had re- learned the hard way, I guess, that you need to be a lot more involved. And I think people who've ever been in a hospital room with a loved one, they know that their loved one needs an advocate. But during the COVID era, that people were not allowed to have that person. And how do we advocate for somebody once we're not in the room? Or how do we get into the room, you know, if the yeah. protocol is, or if the, the the processes in place won't let us. And so that became, we got into mom's room. They told us she had 12 hours to live. When I showed up after a 12 hour drive to see her, they told me she could go anytime when you're in her room. So just be prepared for that. They told each of us as we went in. And so we didn't take that as an answer. <laughs> and we had a crash course in nutritional supplementation on the sly, <laughs> and then also managing the hospital and the, the very well-intentioned people, uh, and many of them, wonderful people, very hardworking. <laughs> I can't even imagine the stress that some of those folks were going through, but you ha- we had to learn how to manage those people as well. And then after mom left the hospital, she was in the hospital for 78 days um, before she was released. And People had heard and we were, you know, we would see friends, loved ones, people we cared about. They were going through the exact same thing. We had just gone through literally 80 days of this nightmare, lost grandpa, nearly lost mom. And I I just like I would say, hey, listen, I have some some stuff. I just did all this. Let me talk you through some of this. Or people would just reach out to us and say, please help me. My mom, my dad, my husband, my brother-in-law, just somebody's in the hospital and the hospital just doesn't talk to us, but once a day and we don't know what to do. And, and you helped your mom, what did you do? And so that's how it kind of turned from, we helped our mom to like, all of a sudden it became like you call it a ministry where I was helping 15, 18 families a week with you know, minute to minute chart updates and how to con- talk to the hospital and how to, you know, what is a good D dimer number? <laughs> and well, you know, how much, you know, what is a, a decent heart rate? What kind of oxygenation options are there in the hospital system and all of that stuff. And it just became like uh, an unpaid <laughs> full-time job to be on the phone with these families, walking through this stuff with them. And you're right that uh, we did not save them all. Um, oftentimes people would only hear about us when they're, they've already been told there's no hope by the hospital. And those are always the hardest cases because the people are certainly desperate to save their loved ones. And at that point, you know, our toolbox is very limited. Um, It's far better for someone to take a course like you're, you know, like I, I made for folks or listen to a podcast like this and literally one hour of mental preparation before a hospital is in the picture can save you a complete nightmare situation. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's why I made the course was after I was repeating myself to uh, you know hundreds of people saying the same thing over and over and over. I said, I have to get this information out faster. So more people aren't going through this and I can't get to them all. And so that's where the course came in and that's where, um, you know, the, the ministry kind of uh, yeah. headed in that direction of, we can't help one person at a time across the whole country. We need to get this information out so more people can hear it and then they share it and then they share it. And hopefully this can, you know, we don't go through another fall and winter of last fall and winter, which I'm not sure my family would survive another fall and winter of me on the phone at all hours, day and night. And my son, whenever I say now, even now, our son is six, nearly seven. When I say, hey, buddy, I need to take an important phone call. He'd say, is somebody dying? because for like a year for like a year I'd say buddy there's somebody on the phone and their loved one is dying and they need my help and I really you know I know I told you we'd do x or I told you we'd go y but when somebody calls you on Christmas day and says my loved one is dying you're going to take the call like you're not going to say no no I'm going to have my Instagram moment (laughs) you know like right so yeah just it's we want to avoid another winter like that (laughs) yes we certainly do all of us hope that we do for sure so um, let's let's just talk about some of those practical things that you have learned. You know, let's say that I have somebody that um, is, you know, we don't have to get into the depth and the, the deep, deep nitty gritty, but, you know, we need to, what are some of the general things? Like, have you even, are, um, we didn't talk about this before the program, but like, I even wonder, is there like five tips that you would give to somebody that uh, has their loved one in the hospital? And if you, if you can't off the cuff, think of that, that's, that's fine. If, sure. but, no, I can. Um, so I would say five things before you end up in a hospital to keep you out of the hospital and then five okay. things once you're in it. 
Okay. Number one, to, to avoid the hospital or in preparation, if you're responsible for a loved one, if you're going to get the phone call when grandma, mom, you know, so-and-so is sick and we need, we need to take action. You have every right to ask that person to be taking some supplements to boost their immune system. Elderly folks in particular, you know, their nutrition is not great. The quality, they're, they're not eating tons of fresh fruit and vegetables. And so their nutritional stores are low. Their vitamin D is low because they don't spend much time in the sun. And so if you're the one who's going to get the phone call, be supplementing this because we've all realized that we can't hide from COVID. Everyone's going to get it and maybe multiple times. So instead of hoping to protect our elderly loved ones or anyone, it's far better to boost their immune systems in, in so much as feeding their immune systems what they need. So number one, everybody in your household, and you, you know we have a supplement that we recommend that we formulated, but I don't care if you get it from any old health food store or Amazon or whatever, like be taking supplements, number one. Number two, before you get to a hospital, have signed power of attorney forms. What people don't realize is quite often folks get sick in pairs, husbands and wives. So what you end up with is a spouse ill enough to be in the hospital and their legal medical power, well, I should say their medical power of attorney spouse is also sick and can't be making important medical decisions on their behalf. So, and this happened dozens of times, husbands and wives, both sick at once, one of them's in the hospital, the other one is too ill to be making good decisions, but the kids, adult children in their 50s, have no power to make any medical decisions. They don't even have the right to be told what's going on by the hospital. So really it's my suggestion. House and the child. Right. What you'd want to have is print off your state's, you just Google it, medical power of attorney form in this state. And you would want to go and have those signed and notarized multiple ways. You giving your authority to your, your medical power of attorney to your loved, your spouse, to your oldest child, to your most competent child, just all across the board. And they do the same for you. And then whoever gets sick and ends up in the hospital, you have medical power attorneys forms covering every possible scenario. And then you get them notarized for six bucks. And then no matter who ends up in the hospital, the most, the person who wants to take responsibility and be the advocate who's healthy can do that. And you're not stuck with, you can't ask my mom to put my dad on a vent when she's delirious with COVID and, and basically right. in a coma. She can't make that call, but she's the only one legally able to. Right. And so medical power of attorney forms before you ever show up at the hospital. Another thing is a lot of hospitals last time around were setting the clock for when someone got a visitor based on their first positive COVID test. So I'm not a fan of testing. I, I, I don't think I've ever had a COVID test. I've had COVID twice though. And so I, I'm not recommending them at all for the reasons anyone else would want them. I'm saying the minute you have a flu symptom, take a COVID test and take a picture of it. And that way, if you end up in the hospital, if you end up in a hospital, you can date your first positive test back five, six, seven days before you ended up in the hospital. Because if you don't test at home and you end up at the hospital, they're going to give you a COVID test on the day you show up there, day one, and you're going to be 21 days out from having a visitor. Whereas if you've taken a picture of yourself with your positive test eight days earlier when you first got sick, then all of a sudden, um, you know, that's eight more days. Yeah. yeah. So, and a lot can change. And so you want to be able to have an advocate a week sooner. And so the minute you feel sick, take a test, take a picture of it, of you with it. So that's obviously got, you know, metadata to prove when the picture was taken and you can back up the clock on when you get a visitor. That's, that's essential. I mean, eight days is literally life or death in some of these situations. So that's three big things I would do before you end up at a hospital. Um, another thing is, um, well, that's a, that's a different topic, but basically there are alternatives. If you need oxygen support, you can rent an oxygen concentrator at an oxygen supply store. It doesn't require an oxygen tank. It doesn't require a prescription in most states. And I have helped dozens of families avoid the hospital entirely just with the assistance of an oxygen concentrator that you can rent for, it's like $300 a month. But then if you return it before you get it prorated back to you. So that's pennies compared to the nightmare of going into the hospital. So 
one supplements ahead of time two medical power of attorney paperwork signed every possible different way and notarized ahead of time and then you just submit to the hospital whatever document is advantageous to you they don't need to know you have four other signed ones giving the medical power of attorney to three other people they only care about the one that you present to them and then four consider and uh, yeah, take a t- picture of the test as soon as you have symptoms. And I would honestly, while nobody's worrying about them, I would be buying tests right now. I would buy eight or 10 of them and I just have them in the house because there was a time last fall where you couldn't find them anywhere. Yeah. And you just as soon have eight or 10 in the house so that you can, especially the more high risk you are, the older, you know, females, diabetic, you start adding on those comorbidities, those risk factors. Though, you know, if I was a 65 year old diabetic, overweight woman with high blood pressure, like my mom, <laughs> like, I, you know, that's the kind of person who should have supplements and eight to 10 tests in the house so that they can back that clock up to the first possible right. minute. And, and, you know, I anyway. would be, um, I don't know if you have the fifth one off the top of your head, but I have one that I found in my own experience with helping someone. And that is. If you can take the time to go to the hospital, you know, is the friendliest because, oh, yes, um, no, that's, we, yes, absolutely. I had a friend that, um, her mom, I am just almost convinced would have died if she had gone to the closest ER, but because we had another hospital where there were some friends of ours that were nurses in there. And so we had an advocate inside the hospital. She lived. And the only way she was able to do that, her mom was already on oxygen. So she had to go out and buy a converter for her to be able to truck her take mom oxygen in the car all yeah, the way she could, <laughs> yeah she could take the oxygen and she drove that extra hour to the more covid friendly hospital and it saved her mom's life so i think yes. that's a very that's important something thing. yes a lot of state legislatures are passing laws this year and ha- like north carolina for example has passed a no patient alone law if i lived within two hours of the north carolina border and had a, a sick loved one with covid i would absolutely truck them sick to a hotel and sit in that hotel and try to cure them and if i could not get them healthy in that hotel room then i would drive them to a north carolina hospital knowing that they'd be allowed to have me come in and visit and advocate for them you know right. all the way through it absolutely or even if it's not something as extreme as that north carolina example everybody knows there's this hospital systems being a real stickler about absolutely no visitors and this hospital is allowing some exceptions for exceptional cases. One family that I helped, um, the woman who was sick and went to the hospital, her adult son had died of cancer less than 10 days before she went to the hospital. And so like her her adult daughter made the case, like she can't be alone. She's, you know, this is, you know, she's going through a horrific trauma already. And then you add COVID on top of it. I need to be in there with her. She needs a will to live. She needs loved ones close by. And they, they took that as an, as a a legitimate exception. And they let that woman sit with her mother and her mother is alive today. And that's a good finding a good hospital, finding a good doctor ahead of time that will prescribe you alternative treatments. Don't wait until you're sick and you're in an 800 number in a queue with 300 other people, <laughs> you need, you know, right. find yourself a, a doctor, even if they're five hours from you, Right. call them, say, sure. what do I need to do to become a patient of yours? And then drive there for one, you know, wellness baseline check. And then all of a sudden you're their patient. And so the yeah. next time you get sick, you get to call up your doctor who will write you one of those prescriptions. And that way you, know, you can get much better care. And that's all before the hospital even comes into the picture. Right. All right. Well, when we come back, we will talk about what to do if you are in the hospital already. Maybe you haven't been able to do these things. um, And so you're stuck because now your loved one's in the hospital, but um, you, you need a way to advocate. Maybe even you can't even get in. So we'll be right back. When it comes to vaccines, most mothers and fathers want to know facts, not others' opinions. Jackie wished she had known more facts when she went in for her first well-baby visit. 
Because Jackie strongly promotes parental choice, she felt led to write a short treatise with personal facts. This vaccination ebook is pretty concise to allow you, the parent, to read, research into the studies she shares, and come up with your own decisions. Jackie's sincere desire is that you and your children thrive, and so she presents to you the vaccination ebook free of charge. Simply go to deeprootsathome.com forward slash vital dash info dash ebook forward slash. That's deeprootsathome.com forward slash vital dash info dash ebook forward slash. All right, we are back, and we just already got probably like I don't know, years worth of experience just in that first little bit there with those five different things that you need to know before going to the hospital. I mean, those are, I didn't even, I would not have ever thought about taking a picture of my test. Like that is genius because you can say, Hey, look, yes, you just tested me positive, but four days ago I tested positive and, and you've gotten yourself four days worth of time when they can say somebody can be in with you. So that's, that's right. There was, I mean, I was not participating in this, but I know for a fact there was an underground market in some states like New York and New Jersey where people were taking pictures of positive COVID tests with newspapers and they would sell them to people really? whose Ill, loved ones were ill and they were back, you know, so they could back date so they could get wow. in the rooms. And I was wow. like, you know, there's, there's always a buck to be made, but that's not yeah. how I would, you know, isn't it sad we're at the point where we have yeah. to do these things? Like I, I just, um, it's crazy. Yeah. Some of the crazy. stuff I heard was just the real last year. You just, you wouldn't believe this stuff is happening in a first world country. You yeah. think this is like, I need to bribe the night guard so I can get in to see my dying relative. And I need right. to, you know, purchase a fake COVID test. And it just, it's just, right. it got so insane. You just wouldn't believe some well, of the things. And these I think. things we're talking about are specific to, are we've been mentioning COVID, but really these things can, can work with the flu. These can, you know, you have a loved one in the hospital with pneumonia, you have a loved one in the hospital, um, for these other things. I mean, obviously you don't have a COVID test when you have these things, especially work in the COVID era when hospitals, whole States like New Jersey, this was the visitor policy, regardless of why your loved one was in the hospital period, full stop. And so you didn't get in for 21 days. You didn't get, you know, all sorts of rules that, you know, your wife was in having a baby, but you couldn't be with her. You know, those sorts of things were happening all over the country. And so you don't even have to be sick with COVID for some of this information to be useful. You just have to have any, I mean, I knew somebody whose mom went in with a broken ankle. This is a true story. I knew this person. Mom went in with a broken ankle, fell down her stairs, broke her ankle, went in, got a positive COVID test. They immediately started all the COVID protocols on her. And in 10 days, she was dead. And he calls me, he calls me bawling. This is an adult man. I've never met this person. I mean, like, I know who he is, but you know, we never met in person. And he's just like, they killed my mom for a broken ankle. And it's like, how do you... Uh, How is this happening in America? I don't even, you know, it's just like, it's mind boggling stuff. So anything I can do to help more people avoid that nightmare, I'm, that's what I'm here for. I don't think we've seen the end of it because if they, you know, even if COVID, I mean, even if COVID goes away, we've got, we've got, um, they'll become, there'll be something else down the bend. I mean, when there's a precedent set. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I'm a doula. And they shut down being able to walk the halls when you're in labor. And most hospitals, that is not opened back up yet. I mean, there are precedences now that that may yeah. never come back to the way it should be. So, yeah. So let's go ahead and, and uh, go into the five things that you should know or do if you have your relative already in the hospital. So Emily, my my loved ones in the hospital, I I'm totally in a tizzy. Um, what, what can I do? How can I get in to see her? What, what can I do? Well, if you've had a chance to choose a decent hospital, you know, or a different state or whatever, you would, if you just call and ask, what's the policy on visitors, the lady, you know, Nancy, Susan, whoever who answers the phone is gonna say, Oh, I'm sorry. The policy is no visitors. Have a great day. Click. That's not, you're always going to have to push past that because the first person who calls tells you no, and 90% of people are going to give up then. Well, we just can't get in. They said no. Mm -hmm. That's 
that's the easiest way to knock down 90% of people that want into the loved one's room is just tell them no and they go away. You can't be that person for your loved one. You have to make a case why you and your loved one are an exception to the policy. If this was the governor, if this was the president, they'd have more than just one nurse checking on somebody every four hours for five minutes, okay? So there are exceptions to the policy. It's you need to make sure that you're one of them. And the way you do that is you make a case for it. You say, my mother, you know, had, in my case, my mom is a mom of 11 kids and she has 34 grandkids. She's not used to being alone. She can't just sit in there with no reason to live and no loved ones around her. She's not just somebody's, you know, 85 year old grandma who's ready to go. She's in her mid sixties and she matters to like 50 people. So that's point number one like extenuating circumstances about your loved one that example of the woman whose whose son had passed away a week earlier that's another one or um you know just you know i, I had another one a 21 year old young woman mm-hmm. yeah like recently married 21 year old woman she's never been in a hospital she was home birthed she's never been in a doctor's office she has extreme anxiety being in a hospital like this and she's away from her young new husband and she's away from her family and she's having panic attacks in there and pulling off her oxygen mask because she's so freaked out let us sit with her we'll calm her down we'll keep her chill we'll keep her oxygen mask on let us let us give your nurses a break and let us just sit with them mm-hmm. or present an antibody test hey I have COVID immunity, or, you know, if you've been vaccinated and you have your vaccine, you know, I have my shots, I have my COVID immunity, here's a test. Um, I, you know, I just had COVID with her, Um, all sorts of things you can do to make the case why you should be an exception, but you have to, you have to push past. And the other thing is, that's fine. If I can't get in her room, I'm going to call three times per shift, every single shift, I'm going to know every nurse in my mom's room. They're going to know me by name. They're going to be expecting my phone calls. I will not be out of sight, out of mind. So you can either let me in the room or your nurses are going to be tied up on the phone with me four times a shift, every shift for the end of time. So until my mom walks out of there. That brings up a good point. So if somebody can't get in the room, that doesn't mean now their hands are tied. They can't do anything more. They can be very actively making those phone calls and several times a day be getting information and be advocating from the outside, correct? Right. Yes, absolutely. If you absolutely can't get in, if they don't buy your case and like, hey, I'm not opposed to social media. I'm not opposed to calling the news. I'm not opposed to camping out in a parking lot with, you know, a bunch of tailgating relatives. Hey, you can let me sit with her or we're going to sit in your parking lot, sleeping in sleeping bags in the back end of a pickup truck. You know, do you want a big, ugly press conference in your parking lot? No, you don't. Let me in her room and this will all go away. You know, that's, you can say stuff like that if you're willing to do stuff like that. If you have a church, an active church that's willing to join you with little signs in the parking lot that say you know nobody should die alone or something like i mean i've had churches take that suggestion and run with it and that's 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 how you get into people's rooms but yes even if you can't get into someone's room you can still advocate for them and that would be you know hospitals run on a 12-hour shift usually 7 a.m to 7 p.m so if you call right at like 7.15 or 7.30 or 8 a.m. or 8 p.m., that nurse has only been on shift for like an hour. They don't know anything about how your loved one is doing. And you don't want to call, right? So what you want to try to do is call at the end of a long shift so you get a bunch of new information off the nurse, but you don't want to call in the last 30, 40 minutes as they're doing end of shift paperwork. So my suggestion was always to call around 6.15 to 6.30 a.m. or 6.15 to 6.30 p.m., to catch as much information off the nurse as you can without, you know, irritating them unnecessarily while they're doing end of shift work and checking on all their patients one last time. So um, definitely be calling in. Well, and that leads to my second point, which is love bombing everybody involved. Um, People like to take care of people who are loved, right? right? So one thing that is helpful I have found is to pile your loved one with cards, notes, flowers. The hospital needs to know that this person's progress and their health is being watched by dozens and dozens of people. So put out the call right away, as soon as your loved one goes in the hospital to their church, their friends. I mean, I've had families where they had kind of a loner, not connected to a church, like 
send five bouquets of flowers that are $20 each from five different names that you invented, <laughs> you know, like you, you know, spend a hundred bucks total and, and get five different uh, like, signed bouquets in there. This is a very important person. Right. This person is loved and watched. They're not just going to slip away and die. And no one's going to think, why did that person die in XYZ hospital? Gosh, right. when I get sick, I don't want to go to XYZ hospital. Yeah. You know, that that's negative publicity and they know that and they don't want that. So the more love you can show, and it is encouraging to your loved one, but honestly, they're usually so out of it that they don't, they don't so much care. But when we, you know, when mom was sick, and there were so many flowers being sent to my mom's room that they were flowing out onto the nurse's station and the nurses got to look at them all day. And that's when we made a big discovery is that the nurses don't like to be called and irritated multiple times a shift, but it goes a lot better if you love bomb them too. So we started, we ordered flowers delivered. If you can't get in the room, you order flowers, fresh flowers right away, day one to the wonderful people taking care of my father in room such and such and you stick a few candy bars on it, you know? And then three days later, to the wonderful folks taking care of my father in room such and such, and this time you put a bunch of $5 Starbucks cards on there. And then three days later, you do an $8. I mean, we're upping the ante because they're burning out. They're expecting your relative to die because you'd be in the hospital for eight to 10 days and things aren't looking good usually by this point. And so you just keep, you know, basically these little gifts for the nurses. They are more likely to spend five extra minutes rubbing your loved one's feet, making your loved ones comfortable. The things you would be doing if you were in their room with them, the nurses will do for free because you've kind of buttered them up and you know made them happy to help your loved one because you know they feel thought about and cared about and noticed and that's you know that's a few hundred dollars compared to you know that's pennies in a bucket compared to right. you know yeah so it's we found that well worth it and i've seen that played out over and over and over is oh this is special so and so with all the flowers in her room yeah right. yes gotcha. special so and so gets special treatment and it's not really fair that it works that way but it's just human nature like i mean you can't you can't you know i i don't hold that against them you know it's just I you just a, work with it you don't i had a friend that was really um she was for days and days and days and weeks on end, she was by her husband's side and she was making all kinds of special requests and she was on the, on top of everything. And she was trying not to be an irritation. So she was bringing those nurses Chick-fil-A and she was bringing those nurses, just all kinds of things, just, um, just to show them how much she appreciated them. And so that she, they didn't always look on her in a negative light of, oh, there's that lady right. again, going to ask that we take special protocol for right. her husband you know it was yes. it was just gratitude and love that was shown yeah really really helped open doors for her yeah and if you do get into the hospital room that's it just stay out of their way <laughs> don't yeah. be asking for right. fifty thousand things if you can rub your loved one's feet you rub the loved one's feet you don't ask a nurse to come do it like it you just stay quiet you stay out of the hallways you know, you just want them to forget you're there right. and you deal with the doctors and help make medical decisions and you thank the nurses profusely. And that's, that's yep. what you do. Like they aren't, they aren't making a single decision about your loved one's care. They're not in charge of any of that. So for all of my extreme frustration with the CDC's protocol, all of last year, there is never a good time to take it out on the nurses right. because, you know, they're, they're, you know, they don't have any say over what treatment your loved one receives, period, full stop. The only thing they can do is they can influence whether or not the doctors listen to you. And so if you are nice to them, they will and firm with them. They will encourage the doctors and specialists to deal with you. Please make, you know, listen to this lady. She's called five times. She's been very kind about it, but she won't stop. Yeah. Like that's the person you want to be not the, gosh, this lady's such a bee. I'm not going to check on her dad for two hours. You know, it's like, you don't want to be that person. No. So that's kind of a good rule of thumb. Absolutely. All right. So number three, what would be your number well, three? I think um, a, a good thing to know is kind of the progression of oxygen support. Okay. So when I, before my mom got sick, I'd never heard the words BiPAP. Everyone's heard of a vent. Like, well, we yeah. don't like, oh, mom's on oxygen. How much, uh, you know, at what pressure, at what richness? We don't know anything about this. 
it's not a bad idea to go on YouTube and watch a couple of videos about oxygen support. <laughs> I did that sitting in my mom's hospital room. Basically, the, the basic gist is you go in and minimal oxygen support is just a straight breather mask like you would have. You know, it'll go in a nasal cannula through the nose. Um, if you require little enough, you just have a roll around tank and you can leave the hospital. But if you require a high enough amount of that um, heat, it's called heated high flow then you'll need to be connected to the oxygen flow through the wall of the hospital. So that's when you're not leaving the hospital, right? So for most hospitals, you needed to be on, you know, four to six liters of oxygen support before they let you leave the building that little. And then I'd be dealing with patients who are on, you know, 60, 70, you know, just insanely high numbers. So the progression is heated high flow leads to a BiPAP mask and a BiPAP leads to a vent. And the vent, after two weeks of a vent, they quite often would try to put in a trachea. And that several patients I dealt with had that happen to them. So the heated high flow is a good thing to stay on. You wanna to try to avoid the BiPAP at all costs. Um, be, well, I mean, the BiPAP, the, okay. So the BiPAP is a step in the wrong direction, but it's not one inch from a vent. My mom was on a BiPAP for weeks on end, 24 hours a day. She was on a BiPAP at maximum settings for over a week straight. Okay. So a lot of what they don't tell you is that a BiPAP is a non-invasive vent. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's a mask they wear on their face. It's latched to their face tightly. It is not comfortable. It dries out the mouth and nose. It's very, the relatives hate it. So they often will fight it. My mom tried to tear hers off multiple times because she was out of it on medication and very ill. And so she kept trying to tear it off because it was so uncomfortable. So you want to try to, you know, anything you can do to avoid that by mom, you've got to push harder. You've got to do your breathing exercises. Make sure that they're laying your loved ones prone. And if they can't be laid prone, at least on their left side, you know, things like this, you want to give them the ultimate chance to not have to end up on a BiPAP. But if they do, just know that a BiPAP can be weeks from event and never end up on event. My mom never ended up on an invasive event. She stayed on a non-invasive event, the BiPAP for the whole time she was in the hospital. So just be aware of that when they tell you, oh no, they're on a BiPAP. That's, that doesn't mean you're five minutes from event, but it is not the ideal situation. What you wanna to try to do is, can we try to wean off the, the BiPAP? Can we try a few hours of heated high flow? Can we try a few hours of, of you know, Always be trying to wean off, not just comfortable relying entirely on. And then when it comes to the vent, you know, everybody knows the extremely low survival rate of vents. And I had a family in New York State uh, calling me for help and their hospital was pressuring and I, I just immoral, unethical pressuring. Don't you love your dad? Don't you want him to live? Why are you tying your ha our hands so we can't help him? Sign the form so we can vent him if we need to. I mean, that sort of verbiage verbatim. Okay, unethical, extremely. Sitting on a patient's bed and saying, well, why should we try to save you if you won't try to save yourself by signing the form that will allow us to vent you if we need to? Those are quotes coming out of New York State. So I finally said, don't make a decision on the vent till you have some data. Just tell the hospital, I can't decide on a vent until I know facts about this hospital's vent survival practice rate. So you vent people all day, every day for COVID, what percentage of them are surviving, okay? And in this hospital in New York State, and this was late in 2021. So we had all of 2020, and I think this was November of 2021. And I said, push them. You want me to make a medical decision. You're giving me no data to work from. You're just saying he needs to be vented. He needs to be vented. And like, tell me what that actually buys us. Will he survive a vent? And we finally got out of the hospital that four people in that hospital in all of 2020 and all of 21 until November had survived being vented in that hospital. Mm. And I was like, so this is basically signing a death warrant which is fine if that's what your family wants to do. If you think dad's fought enough, or if you think dad's 88 and he's ready to go, that's your family's choice. But at least the hospital's not bullying you into it. At right. least you're not being given the false hope that if you put him on a vent, he'll live in that hospital in New York state, that is a 99.9% death, death rate. So then you know, when you're putting them on a vent, what you're getting into. In other hospitals, they would have as low as a 40, 50% death rate, but yeah. national average, 
I mean, last I had researched, and it's been, you know, six months since I looked into it, but national average was something like 55 plus percentage of people who went on event passed away. And so that's not to say the event caused all of those, but that is something you should know going into making decisions about the ventilator. And as far as the trachea, I have never gotten, I have talked to more than 60 hospitals. I have never gotten one of them to explain to me the benefits of a trachea after multiple weeks of being uh, on a ventilator, but they do it anyway. And so just be aware of that. Don't think to yourself, oh, this is the most barbaric thing I've ever heard. Well, what do we, heard, this is the end. I had heard something about that, that it would keep, you can't have the length of time of the vent with the damage that can occur to the throat right. and everything that the trach would avoid. But I have no clue if that's, you know, fact. Right. I read a bunch of studies on it back, you know, six months ago. And basically, the primary concerns of those studies were the vent is a closed system and will keep the virus from being released into the air in the hospital room, but a trachea releases all the virus into the room where the, of the, where the hospital help is all working and staff. So that's a risk of the trach, but there's no mention of why they're doing it. Yeah, I read yeah. probably 15 studies on it and couldn't find any, uh, yeah, like yeah. what does this increase their chance of surviving at all? Like, what does this do? I mean, other than, yeah. gets you event free. Like, I don't get it. But anyway, so that's kind of point number, you know, that's point three, I think. Know yeah. your oxygen options, know what that progression looks like and, and be aware of like, don't let them scare you. Oh no, he's on a BiPAP. We're near the end. No, right. that doesn't necessarily mean that. Try to wean off those things. Try to get on heated high flow back to heated high flow, even a couple hours a day. Make sure your loved one is sitting prone at, you know, all hours of the day if they're willing to put up with it. And at least on their left side, if they're right. not willing to put up with it. So like, those are things you can do. And then that leads, I think, to point four, which um, I would say to know your corticosteroids. <laughs> so basically the current CDC protocol has some corticosteroids they're allowed to give patients. But in other parts of the world where the CDC is not in control of the protocols, they are giving more corticosteroids more often, stronger ones at higher doses and seeing a much better success rate. Early in all of this, everyone heard about budesonide um, being a great um, thing to take and it still is a great thing. What a lot of hospitals are doing is giving basically uh, an asthma inhaler equivalent, like, an, like a, just a very low dose of a very, not very strong corticosteroid. And what a corticosteroid does is it will lower the inflammation in the lungs, which allows when the lungs inflammation go down, that swelling and tightness go down, the oxygen, the lungs can oxygenate better, right? It just makes common sense that swollen, tight and inflamed lungs aren't going to naturally inflate well to deliver oxygen to the bloodstream. So what can we do to lower inflammation and irritation in the lungs? Well, corticosteroids do that, inhaled corticosteroids. So the ones they offer are like the equivalent of, oftentimes the equivalent of, you know, an inhaler for an asthma attack, but your, your loved one is in the asthma attack of their lifetime. Right. And so it's not, I have had good success asking for more corticosteroids, stronger and more often. So for example, many hospitals are willing to give you budesonide, but they're wanting to give it at, you know, you know, 0.25 micrograms twice a day. Well, in the, in the clinical studies I read, in the, in the medical studies I was reading, the more successful doses were 0.4 micrograms four times a day. So you're ending up with 1.6 milligrams a day instead of 0.5 milligrams a day total. And those patients had a much better survival rate avoiding the acute respiratory dis disorder, ARDS, you know, the, the, complete collapse of the pulmonary system, the lung system. And so asking for more corticosteroids more often, stronger ones, is, can hurt. And educate yourself about them. Look up all the medication they're telling you that your loved one is taking. Obviously, I think most people listening to this podcast would know not to accept something like remdesivir um, or some of the new you know, the new antivirals they have out that are specific to COVID because a lot of them have, you know, very, very 
uh, severe side effects and very little. I mean, in some of the CDC's studies they posted on their CDC website as their justification for using remdesivir, it openly stated it had a 5% higher survival rate than not using it. <laughs> so like, you know, that, that's yeah. not the kind of odds I would gamble my loved one on. But yeah. that said, when you hear what, you know, ask, what corticosteroids is my relative receiving? Oh, none. Can I please get, you know, can we get them some inhaled budesonide? I would like 0.4 micrograms four times a day, please. And they'll come back at you with, oh, we'll do 0.25, we'll do 0.5 once a day, you know, 0.4 once a day. And then, so this is kind of a delicate dance where it depends on your relative, your relationship with the hospital here and how you've buttered them up, how you've been respectful, but firm, how you've been tracking down everything they say. But this is a place where you can say, okay, so how many days of my relative not improving in their lung function will it take before we're willing to try more stronger and more frequent corticosteroids? You don't just say, okay, well, I asked and they said, no, they're always going to say no until you make a case for why. So, okay, my relative has been on your low minimal dosage, which minimal frequency, minimal you know, strength, but they're not improving. And in fact, the corticosteroids seem to be having no impact. So what can we do? to increase the strength. So budes I want budesonide 0.4 milligrams four times a day. You know, why don't we try that for two days? Because clearly the program, the protocol they're on right now is not working. So right. that's a good argument to make. The trouble is on that argument, you have to wait a couple of days of their right. protocol not working. And those are crucial days. So this is a time to be really pushing, you know, pushing the hospital. But I think this would be probably my fifth point is you really have to push your relative and it's it's hard to do and the older they are like my mom's whole generation and especially my grandma you know people in their 80s they have a, a like a deep and abiding trust in the medical system every time they've ever been in an accident you know i come from a farming background you know you you roll a tractor and get your leg crushed you rush to the hospital they're going to save your life and you'd be toast without them and that's a good that's a good point. America's trauma system is second to none, but America's health system, especially in regards to COVID, is not the best in the world. So a lot of older folks have, or even young folks, have an implicit faith that the hospital is going to heal them. Their job is to go in there, sit on the bed, watch TV until they're unconscious, you know, until they're, uh, uh, until such a time as they're unconscious because they're too ill to watch the TV and just sit there and let people put drugs in their arms and fix them. Your job is to heal me. And I'm just supposed to lay here and be a willing patient. That's not how COVID works. COVID is aggressive and it moves hard and fast. And once the hospital starts to see, oh, I've seen this, nobody who ever got to this point ever came back. That's, they were saying that on my mom the whole time we were there. What you wanna be doing is, mom, I know you don't wanna do the breathing exercises. I know you don't want that. I think it's called a spirometer where you breathe into it and increase your lung function. I know it's painful. I know it lowers your oxygen for five minutes after you've done it and that's worrisome but it's, you have to push them. If you, if they just lay there, literally lay there with fluids pooling in their lungs, they're not going to get better. Mom, you have to stand up. Mom, you have to try to sit up. Mom, you have to be taking these supplements. I snuck into your hospital room. Yeah. Mom, you have to be pro at, you need to be doing these breathing exercises every, like a good rule of thumb is do one breathing exercise every time a commercial comes on the TV. And mom, if no one is in the room with you, you need to do those yourself. If I can't get in there with you, you need to be fighting hard. And that, that also goes into the psychology of your loved one. Like with my mom, we sat there and I jumped on my, when I was in her room, jumped on my phone on airbnb.com. And I said, mom, when you get out of here, let's find a cabin. Let's rent a cabin up in Maine, you know, because it was early fall when she got in. Of course, she didn't get out till three days before Christmas, but she didn't know that. She was, you know, she had lost all track of time. So I said, let's get a cabin. Let's, let's play in the route we're going to take. Let's see the best restaurants in this little no-name town in Maine. And none of that ever happened, but it gave her something. We're going to rent a big old cabin, all the grandkids, all the kids. Mom, you know, we're going to make this a big deal. And we just gave her something to hang on to. And, you know, you got to fight, mom. You can't give up. You're not done. You don't just get lay down and quit here. You got to yeah. keep going. You got yeah. a lot of work to do still. 
And wow. like the hospital's coming in saying, are you tired? Do you just need us to give you some rest? Do you want some better rest? And yeah. they kept just increasing her sedatives and increasing her sedatives. And oh, by the way, this sedative is known to cut lower respiration rate. And oh, morphine is known to cut lower respiration rate. No, thank you, mom. I know you're in tons of pain. I know this is awful. I see this. It's, it's tearing us apart to watch you this sick but you've got to fight this. And if you just yeah. let them sedate you and sedate you and morphine you and morphine you, your respiration rate is going to continue to drop and you're, you're not going to make it out of here, mom. You've got to fight. Yeah. And that's, you know, you can't, you can't do that very effectively in a YouTube or a Facebook, you know, a Facebook live call they would set yeah. up, you know, for 20 minutes where they set the iPad in front of your nearly comatose relative. And I mean, I've heard stories you just, you just wouldn't believe, but like, you know, Hospital administrators coming by five, six, 10 times a day telling a 35-year-old man with an O2 at 90 that if he didn't get authorize a vent, he was basically guaranteeing his kids would be fatherless. And if he loved his kids at all, he'd sign the form and authorize a vent. I mean, this, this happened all over the world. Yeah. I dealt with people in Canada. I dealt with people in Europe. I dealt with people all, this was yeah. this sort of pressure. They're getting this sort of negative pressure from a probably well-intentioned hospital staff, they're getting tons of negative, just sign the form. Do you want more rest? Do you want us to turn up your sedative? Do you want us to just, do you want it to be easier? Do you not want to be in so much pain? Like who wouldn't take that when they're two weeks into this nightmare and in total agony? Like right. you got to fight this. You got to get your relative to fight this. And you got to, and it helps if you're standing there, but even if you're not, mom, I'm fighting for you on the phone. I'm, I'm on the phone. This is a part-time job now. I'm on the phone all day with your doctors, with your pulmonary specialist with your kidney specialist with your heart specialist all these people we're all pulling for you but you gotta fight and you can't just hit the little clicker button asking for more morphine until you've maxed it out which they give those people a lot of times people have a clicker to just give themselves as much morphine as they want and that's that's just horrible so anyway that's my that's my five points before you get in five points when you are there and hopefully some of that is helpful so let's just summarize them here. But before we do that, we need to take a quick break and then I'm gonna go over all five points of both, uh, both sets. And so we can um, just really make sure that we understand and can just grab that nail. And um, so just even help for our memory here. So we'll be right back. Sure. It's no secret, it's been a very difficult couple of years. As mothers, it can be overwhelming to know how to best care for your family and to be prepared for the next wave of illness that will come. The We Saved Our Mom family has partnered with a supplement company to create I Am Shield. I Am Shield contains all eight of the nutrients that people have been buzzing about for the last two years, and they have combined them into one bottle. Mamas, this means no more juggling bottles or being overwhelmed by dosing. At $31.95, I Am Shield is here to make your life easier. Visit www.cvprotocols.com and use the coupon code hashtag DeepRootsAtHome for 15% off. That's cvprotocols.com. Use the coupon code hashtag DeepRootsAtHome to get 15% off. Take one small step towards simplifying your life while you care for your family. And we are back. So in summary, I wrote them down here so that I could remember. So in summary, five things to know before the hospital is if you are a caregiver, you, are, you have the right to suggest supplements for that caregiver to really encourage them when they're sick, to prevent them getting worse, to go ahead and make that call and say, mom, you've got to be taking these supplements. Let me, let me help you with that and really make sure that they get the nutrients into them. Secondly, mm -hmm. uh, we need to have a signed power of attorney beforehand, um, have not just one person, but several people on your power of attorney. Thirdly, right. take that's a medical power. Medical, just to clarify, that's a medical power. Medical right. Power. So people might have a legal power of attorney. And right. in every state of Louisiana, the medical power of attorney automatically reverts to the spouse. Okay. So 
again, gotcha. you know, make sure that people, you might go to your elderly parents and say, we need to sign a medical power of attorney. And they say, oh, we've already done all that. And that's a legal one. That's for your banks. If something happens and your property and assets, medical is, it automatically reverts to the spouse unless they've signed a form otherwise. So you gotcha. have to, that's something people should know. Okay. And then third, they take a picture of your test to have proof of the earliest yes. days that you were sick. Fourth, know that you can rent an oxygen tank so you can maybe avoid having somebody go into the hospital if they need a little bit of oxygen help. And then fifth, yep. um, make do your research to know where the more COVID-friendly hospitals are, visitor-friendly hospitals, and take that extra drive if you can to get them to a, yes. a better hospital. Then once they're in the hospital, you said um, to make the case for why you why they need visitors and uh, find those special little things that your loved one has that make it impossible for them to be alone and why they need to let you in there. And then mm -hmm. number two was to love bomb the patient so that they see how um, how very loved and important this person is and then also love bomb the nurses and the staff. Right. Um, to yep. let them know how grateful you are to help them realize this is a really special person I need to be taken care of. And yep. then um, number four was to, um, or sorry, number three was to know about the oxygen levels and know the oxygen options so you can um, know where your loved one is at. And number four is to know the corticosteroids. You say it. Yeah, <laughs> corticosteroids. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And, and to know them and to push for higher doses of those steroids for the lungs. Um, yes. Yep. And then number five was to really push the relatives that not to give up and really give them something to look forward to, something to live for, something to fight for, help them to really push their body, go beyond what they think that they, um, that they can do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, the hospital's ultimate goal is to keep them comfortable and happy. And right. their hospital, you know, it doesn't, this yeah. sounds really heartless and cruel, but the hospital doesn't, it does, it's not in their vested interest to have your patient live or die. Yeah. Their, their vested interest is to have the family happy and the person comfortable. Right. Like that's it. Like they want, you know, obviously they want them to live, but in some of these states, they're literally being incentivized. They get yeah. more money for a COVID death than for a COVID living, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, yeah. you have to, you have to recognize that's at play. Mm -hmm. And so the hospital, at the end of the day, you think to yourself, this would be my probably my overarching point is you think to yourself, I won't bother them. I'll just let them do their jobs. They're all just working so hard on, you know, they're doing everything they can. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. The hospital is following the protocol is written that limits their liability and whether mm -hmm. or not your loved one lives or dies is a bad shift for the nurses. Mm -hmm. That's it. Now you have to go on to live without dad, without mom, without grandma, without whoever you have an empty chair at Thanksgiving. You have memories not made. You have heartbreak and, and spouses despondent and dying earlier because their, their soulmate is gone. You live with the lifelong consequences. The nurse has a bad shift. The doctor has, you know, who knows what happens to a doctor when the patient dies? Like, you know, especially when it's a 75 year old, old lady who, you know, whatever, she lived a good long life. She's fine. Like, you're the one who has to advocate. They're going to follow the hospital procedures and the procedures are set in place not to save with any, they haven't done every possible thing they could do. They've yeah. done what they are required to do to limit their liability in the event of a death. That's it. And so just keep that in mind. They're not, they're not desperately crying in the middle of the night. What can we do to save that lady? They're not yeah. thinking, nobody is thinking that. You are thinking that and you're hoping they care that much, yeah. but they're going... Can we get sued for what we've done so far? No, then we're fine. And that's that's the bitter, harsh reality of it. There are many good-hearted people. There are, you know, selfless people. There are compassionate yeah. people, wonderful people. But they, they're not going to be the ones with no grandpa yeah. at, at even Christmas. If get, even if you get an extraordinary doctor that just has the biggest heart, he feels so often right. like his hands are tied because of the FDA and because of the of protocol. The yeah. Protocol. And so his job is on the line. And so, yeah. Um, yeah so we're really fighting an uphill battle here. Well, this has been, this has been wonderful and we're going to need to wrap it up. But before we wrap it up, I want to ask you about two things. Um, first of all, you have a course that you wrote um, specifically to educate people, to help them, 
Um, and so tell us briefly about that and where can people go to access that course? Sure. I made a, I basically, like I said, I was repeating all this stuff over and over. And I thought if I just recorded it in a video and typed it out, more people could hear it faster. It's hosted on a website um, called preparedpatriotnutrition.com. And if you just go there and search in the search box and pull up COVID course or hospital course in the search box, it will pull up the class. And so basically it's about two hours, two hours and 15 minutes of everything I've just said and a lot more, um, more in depth, more explanation of corticosteroids options, more in depth you know, explanations of pretty much everything I covered. And so it's not a bad idea to take a course like that before you have a loved one sick in the hospital, but I tried to keep it very short so that you could immediately, if you are faced with that situation and you remember this podcast, you can immediately go find it and in two hours get like a brain dump of information. And the course is set up so that you can jump right to whatever section you're at. So you don't have to do all the coursework for what to do before you're in the hospital. If your loved one's already in the hospital, grab the course, jump right to the section on how to handle your loved one in the hospital. And hopefully we can help more people faster. And I think right now we have the course set at like $20. So this is not some fast money-making scheme. This is, um, you know, trying to just cover the cost of getting it up there and hosting it. And honestly, if you would like to take the course and are any sort of financial hardship, just message into prepared patriot nutrition just click the contact us button and send an email and we're happy to give you some coupon codes to make it uh, more affordable in your situation so that's uh that's the info the down low on the course and that is uh, we'll give the website again prepared and we will put that also in the show notes all right and then lastly um give us a little quick uh a little quick commercial about your product ram <laughs> shield Sure. Well, after I had helped, you know, hundreds of families in various stages of illness, I realized that my husband and I are big into supplements. We take a dozen of this and three dozen of that, and we're, that's part of our normal life. But I realized very quickly that for most Americans, especially elderly Americans, that's not part of their life. And so when they were getting ill, it was like way overwhelming to tell them, you need to take six things. You need, you know, eight things, 10 things. You need vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, quercetin, bromelain, all these things that everyone's talking about. Well, you'd tell these folks that and like, oh, I live in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, and it's three hours near the health food store. Or, you know, I'm 65. I can't fill a whole pill tray with different things for different times a day and different dosages. And I need three of this pill and two of those and five of these. So my husband and I, um, in God's providence, we had... Um, sold our house and come into some profit on that. And we decided to plug that money, that profit back into starting a supplement company or working, partnering with a supplement company to uh, develop a product that would meet that need of people who aren't, you know, supplement bugs like we are. And it's not the perfect supplement. You know, there are, there are more things we'd love to add, but this is the, this is a supplement that will help the most people the easiest the most affordably it's it's called i am shield like immune shield <laughs> and it's uh, available the company we partnered with was cv protocols and you can find their website at cvprotocols.com and the supplement contains the eight ingredients that if you've been following the covid discussions on natural immunity and our natural you know prevention and not even so much prevention as when you get it which you will how can you come through it with it just being mild flu-like symptoms? And how can your loved ones come through it that way? These are those ingredients. If you've been reading, you know, quercetin is the poor man's hydroxychloroquine. You know, vitamin C is essential. Zinc is essential as an antiviral. It's all these things in one bottle to make it easy for people that aren't into supplements and don't want to spend $180 buying eight bottles of supplements. And uh, yeah, just to make it easier for folks to help their loved ones. And hey, it's a lot easier to just, hey, mom, I'm mailing you three bottles of pills and you and dad need to take three of these every single day all winter long right. than it is to get a phone call. I think dad and I have COVID. We just aren't feeling like ourselves. And then, you know, mom hasn't been outside and gotten any vitamin D in a month. You know, mom, you know, mom and dad eat a lot of. Or if you do have COVID to take one, right. one product versus all of these. Right, yeah, you know, absolutely. I feel like, like juggling all those bottles. And I'll just right. say that I know that you also made it so that it could, if it needed to be, be transdermal. 
so that you could actually rub it into the skin for those people that are on ventilators or whatever yes. you share more about yep. your we saved our mom story so make sure if you haven't if our listeners have not heard that story make sure to go back and listen to that because um, this product was created to be made to be able to be rubbed in transdermally as well well, Emily, this has been absolutely tremendous. You've given so much of your time to us tonight. And I know that so many people are going to really, really find this information useful. I know I have learned a lot. So I just really, really appreciate that. And I want to add that if anyone is interested in your in the supplement, I am Shield, that Deep Roots at Home does have a coupon code. So if you go to cvprotocols.com and you order um, however many bottles of I am shield, you can just use the code hashtag or pound sign deep roots at home. And that will give you a 15% discount. Plus they are giving free shipping. So it's an, it's a wonderful deal. So I know you want to take advantage of that. Well, Emily, I just, again, thank you so much. And I just hope that you have a wonderful rest of the week. And I'm sure that we will be talking to you again soon because you have so much to share with us. Thank you very much. We'll talk again. Thanks for joining us on the Deep Roots at Home podcast. We pray it has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord and as you serve your family. Could you do us a favor? If this has blessed you, could you help us spread the word by liking and sharing this podcast with your friends? And don't forget, we have lots of great links in the show notes that go along with today's podcast. See you next time. Thank you.